Today in Movie Wallers, we talk about Borat, subsequent movie film, his house, the rental, and the boys in the band. It's time for Movie Wallers. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And here's G as well. Movie Wallers is a weekly dose of film reviews, movie news and general banter. In theatres, on DVD, online streaming or in the back of an airplane. If you love this movies, the pod, this podcast is for you. What did I do there? Oh my God, I tripped up. Yeah, I went so what? badly. I think we can count on our hands the number of times. I one do. hand. The number of times you trip up. One well, finger. the number of times I've tripped up and left it in the, in the final edit. Yes. <laughs> How are you okay. doing, Esty? I'm fine. I am glad that we are finally at the at the elections. We've been waiting for it for a long time, and oh, one man, way or the other, things are going to play out. Yes. <laughs> for the record, yeah, we are recording on Saturday, October thirty-first, Halloween. Spooky. This should be a spooky themed episode. Well, it is. Well, they're in it. There we go. It's about it the is. election. It's spooky. <laughs> but yes, a couple of days before the election. So um, there's a very good chance that the result will be known by the time uh, this podcast airs. So, or by the time you hear this podcast, at least. So, um, yeah, don't want to get too political. We try and, I, I don't know, I, I like to try and avoid the world in this podcast and let it be, let it be movies. Although we we have been we have had a lot of COVID related discussions lately, but yes, let's let's hope for um, the result everyone wants on Tuesday without getting too political. There you go. May the odds forever be in your future if you are listening. In your favour. In your favour. Oh, are you do were you doing a Hunger Games? I reference? was. Oh. Yeah. See, I tied it back to a movie. It should be in your favour then. What did I say? In your future. Well, it will Close be enough. in your future. Close enough. Listen to me, Hunger Games <laughs> nitpicker. Good. Well, um, yeah, we we still remain in a in a pandemic-y world. So mm, everything we've been watching, we've been watching via streaming. Um, I heard the UK is going into lockdown, full lockdown today as well. So, you know, we're not, we're far from the end of it all and far from the the world where we can return to movie theatres um, without without masks, at least, and certainly um, without risk. So, uh, yeah, but it's great. I mean, the funny thing is so much, so much content. Every time we switch on any one of these streaming services, I feel like, overwhelmed it's becoming a little um not intimidating that's the wrong word but there, there's just there's always stuff to watch which is great and uh, we love that yeah and i think um everybody's bemoaning the fact that this year all the big players which would have been in contention for the oscars they've all been moved out including some of the prestige films have been moved out to 2021 but i actually like the fact that this as unusual as the year is, it will be good that it'll give some, you know, it'll allow some smaller films to shine and some, you know, performances which would have ordinarily been lost because the, 
you know, the the big budget, big value prestige movies suck out all the oxygen from the room. So I actually look forward to seeing what rises to the top. I, I know there's certainly movies as few as I've seen this year compared to other years. There's several that I would readily, you know, put them for contention in, in various different end of year awards consideration. So we'll see how it plays out. You know, the holidays are just six weeks away. Yeah. Or are they still ex- away. Have they extended the deadline? I know earlier in the year they were planning on kind of extending the release window because I guess at the time we were thinking the pandemic would be done and we would be, you know, kind of playing catch up in the fourth quarter for things that, you know, might not have been released. But I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I mean, things have been released, moved to release dates very deep, 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 deep in 2021. So... Mm-hmm. Is it still end of January as far as you know, Yasdi? Yeah, so the Oscars used to usually be around March. And then, you know, a few years ago, they moved them earlier because they were dragging on too late into the new year. So I think this year they're going to, it was going to be January, but I think they moved it out by a few weeks at least. So it's sometime in February, I believe. Um, So it's a little bit delayed, but it's it's not delayed like for six months. Are you talking about the ceremony or the cutoff date? Because I thought the cutoff date was oh, moved the out ceremony. To I don't know about the cutoff date. Yeah, I don't yeah, know about I'm, the cutoff. And I'm not sure what the rules are going to be, right? Because normally the rule is you have to play in at least one cinema um, in the US, and then, you know, I think I think all will be revealed as we work this out. I I I, I I'm pretty sure they will have to bypass the commercial theatrical release um, because they they will not have anything then. Um, so yeah, we, we'll have to see how it, how it, uh, yeah, no, oh, so this is what with, it is. The Academy Google. will announce Oscar nominations on March 15, 2021. The submission deadline for general entry categories, including best picture is now January 15th, 2021. And a feature film must have a qualifying release between January 1, 2020 and February 28th. 2021, extending the standard December 31st cutoff. So they're adding two extra months um, for the cutoff. Yeah, so this the ceremony now is going to be in April, right? Probably, yeah, if they're announcing the nominations in March. Yeah. March 15th. Wow. Strange days. And, you know, it's funny yes. that they shift the dates around like this because does it have a knock-on effect on... I think we maybe talked about this a while ago, but does it have a knock-on effect on future years? Like, you know, will the 2020... You know, I mean, they should just keep the date where it is, pandemic be damned, and, you know, let's just celebrate what's come out. You know, I think there's... Like you say, Yesi, there's, there's now room. There's now, you know breathing room space for Mm -hmm. the smaller releases i I love that idea yeah i'm sure something like the 40 year old version that we talked about in our last podcast wouldn't have risen to the top and certainly i can't stop thinking about that movie um so if you haven't gone out and or what stayed in and watched that one then rush and see that one it's still one that is i think one of my favorites of this year yeah all right well plenty to talk about this week irrespective of the the state of the world um so we have four movies to cover barat his house the rental and the boys in the band so why don't we just tackle them in that order and uh maybe yesterday you can start by oh sorry rashmi you've got you've got barat introduction so why don't you start 
by telling us all about Borat's subsequent movie film. Yes, and the original title was actually Borat's subsequent movie film, Delivery of Prodigious Bribe to American Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. I think that says it all, doesn't right. it? Right. <laughs> okay, so this is actually a follow-up film to the 2006 comedy centering on the real-life adventures of a fictional Kazakh television journalist named Barat. And this is directed by Jason Walliner. Um, and it's got a huge uh, writing credit, but mainly, you know, based off of the character Barat by Sasha Baron Cohen and written, the screenplay written by Sasha Baron Cohen and 10 other credits, which I'm not going to read out. But mainly this stars... Um, a lot of people as themselves um, who don't know necessarily that they're being captured in true Borat style. But Sasha Baron Cohen as the title, uh, Borat uh, Sagdiev and Maria Bakalova, who plays his daughter Tutar Sagdiev. Um, but a whole host of others in there, including Tom Hanks. And yes, you may have heard by now, Rudy Giuliani. So... Um, Yasdi, I don't know if you are a big fan of the original Borat, um, but why don't you start by telling us what you thought of the sequel? Yeah, so my my experience, my um, reaction to both the original movie and this one is very atypical in that um, somehow I, you know, this kind of cringe humor does not work for me at all. It really i mean it's and maybe it's a testament to how effective it is that i you know it's it's meant to make you cringe and burst out laughing it just makes me cringe i don't burst out laughing and i just cringe and cringe and cringe so my my first experience watching the original movie was one of you know i i felt like i was trapped and i couldn't wait to get out it was so uncomfortable i remember you being I'm a little too, angry yeah and i kind of felt yeah so two things one is uh, you know, this kind of cringe humor is not for me. I'm not wired for that. And and I will I will readily admit that for this, you know, second film, uh, subsequent... Uh, uh, yeah, what do they you call don't it? have subsequent to say the whole title. Film. Yeah, subsequent movie film. Um, it's playing on Amazon and it took me four tries to finish the movie. I just, it made me so uncomfortable. I was just cringing and I'm like, I don't want to watch this. It's really unpleasant. And I think it's complicated because... Um, you know, when, when the original Borat film came out, nobody knew about Borat and certainly the people he was interacting with and who were getting filmed didn't know who Borat was, but it became such a big part of the zeitgeist. It made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that now, you know, he's, you know, Borat is part of, you know, your, your regular memes. Now everybody knows about Borat. So I think this time around, he had to do a combination of, Borat and wearing disguises and going to people who presumably were not aware of Borat. And some parts of the movie are full out staged. They are actors. They're all actors in that particular context. So it's kind of a very unsteady feel as, as you're watching the whole thing. I don't know what to make of all of it. I understand what he's after and I absolutely commend him. It's this kind of guerrilla filmmaking that you know that people don't seem to make anymore so i i commend the intention but i also fear as i did with the first movie that sometimes when when if you want to do a satire of something horrific you kind of play along with it and make other people comfortable and kind of admit to their 
you know, biases and their, um, you know, their bigotry. But in a way, if a person who is a bigot watches this, it may actually validate their beliefs. And that's Mm. my fear always is that somebody might see this and say, hey, look, this movie says it's okay to do this or it's okay to do that. And maybe I'm overthinking this, but that that is always a concern for me. Okay, so but it's it's fun. Yeah, okay, but not your cup of tea. Fun, but not Yazdi's cup of tea. I cringed, I cringed, I cringed. Yeah, so I admit to finding Sasha Baron Cohen's particular flavor of humor extraordinarily funny. I mean, he he has this knack of bringing out behaviors that I think in, in many respects, I mean, he, he exploits stupidity more so than bigotry. Because I, I do get the sense that some of the bigotry that he exposes is essentially kind of a, a confidence man type trick, right? He's very easy. He's very, very astute at being, being able to establish rapport with people. And then there's a little trick that he uses, the high five, which reinforces mm-hmm. whatever it is that he's saying so that the other person goes along. So I think he, he preys on the weak-minded. But that said, you know, I think... He does expose certain bigotries, but I think it's, I'm a little numb to it this, sec- this second time round as compared mm-hmm. to the first time round. So um, I actually found the the bigotry that he exposes not as shocking as he's done in other material of his, such as Who is America, which we watched recently, and mm-hmm. also, um, you know, the, the original Barat movie. Like, And maybe that's just a reflection of the world right now, is that I am so yeah. used to seeing this kind of thing play out in in the media that like to see Borat do it is not as effective or as hard hitting as it once was but nonetheless it's it's extraordinarily funny and I have to we, we'll, we'll talk about this when we have a bit when we get a little bit further into the discussion but Maria Bakalova what a fine she is she stole the show I mean I I think I would rather see her I would have rather had this movie be her in character than, than you know, you can get rid of Bara as far as I'm concerned. She's a star. So funny. Rashmi. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Joe on this one, Yazdi. I mean, I'll go further than uh, Joe by saying that I've been obsessed with Sasha Baron Cohen from, you know, our days in the UK when we saw him as Ali G. And so um, this type of humor is right up my alley. Um, I agree with Joe. I think he was smart enough for for this movie to understand that people got the Borat, like the Borat would be, it would be difficult to punk people as Borat. And so I think he understood by using the mechanism of having his daughter Tutar was a good diversion that helped bring out other attitudes to, um, you know, misogyny and sexism and these these cultural things that he tries to sort of unpack. So I think it was a really good decision on his part to bring on another character. And of course, the punking that he did with his daughter was just hilarious. And of course, he takes you to the most uncomfortable places um, that one can ever imagine. But for me, overall, total success. I actually enjoyed this movie, maybe even a little bit more than the original Borat. And I loved the original Borat. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, Yazdi, the question I have for you is when it makes you cringe so much and you're saying it took you four goes to get through the <laughs> movie. I mean, that's pretty telling. 
Um, so I think it basically does say that if you if this if this isn't your cup of tea, don't watch it, right? Like you're not really missing anything if this makes you cringe well, and you don't buy into this humor. Yeah. Like, as I would say for like the Jackass movies, I get nothing out of those. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's how we're wired. I think, um, you know, and again, it's it's to the movie's great success that there's this whole brand of humor which is meant to make you uncomfortable. And it's exceptionally effective with me. And if, if we were not reviewing for this podcast, I would have given up after the first half an hour because it's just like wow. I couldn't even watch the screen. I had to turn my face away. I'm like, you know, it's this whole thing about humiliation and, you know, and, 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 and I completely see the intent of it. And it's brilliant. And, he, you know, and what he's doing is, you know, orchestrated chaos. That's what it is. It's very, very finely orchestrated. And he has, it's a little bit of, gorilla a little bit of planning a little bit of you know seeing what plays out in real time with real people so there's a lot of you know he must have hundreds of hours of footage that he whittles down to a movie and tries to make sense of it and so i i completely commend the effort and but it yeah it just doesn't work for me um and not that it doesn't work for me maybe it works too well for me and i would fully also agree that this movie would have been nothing without um without the actor who plays his daughter, um, because the whole um, premise of the movie is buying the relationship between father and daughter. You know, that's the scaffolding upon which this whole movie is 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 created. And, and if it was a lesser actor, she makes you believe that whole arc. And, you know, if there was a lesser actor, it would just come off looking you know, one more level of artifice added to it. But that, that level of artifice is removed because you... You believe her and everybody else believes her. And, you know, her whole transformation is uh, pretty credible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, gosh, it, it's it's a frustrating experience to watch in many ways because I think the sleight of hand that was so clever in the original Bara, I think, is starting to show a little bit here. And I think there were moments where um, very clearly the context of a situation or a conversation was created perhaps after that conversation had taken place you know there's there's something that happens um you know with with a a, a clinic and a pastor and mm -hmm. a description that i i think very obviously the the setup for that was filmed after the fact to really match the dialogue that had had been had so that um it, it provided an even funnier context and some of the game playing and some of the way it's cut and edited you know, I mean, there's been assertions that one of the tricks that he plays, I don't know whether this is true or not, or whether it's just people trying to disprove him, but, you know, they they also, you know, because he has that big woolly moustache, that some of the things that Borat says are a little bit different in the moment, and people are responding to different things that he's saying. But, you know, again, who knows what, what kind of games that Sasha Baron Cohen plays. I mean, you know, I've seen him. What, what it ultimately is is... He's a very, very intelligent, sharp, think-on-his-feet button pusher. And he really knows, really knows how to, how to um, exploit stupidity, ignorance, and or people who aren't quite sharp. You know, if, if, if you're not, you know, I, I worry about entering into a conversation with somebody like that because I think he would be way quicker, way sharper than I am in the moment 
and could trick me into saying something that I didn't quite mean or you know that that so it, I kind of always look at those moments I'm like wow do these people really understand <laughs> how stupid they look um and you know again I think the the the, the joke's getting a little tired for me but still very funny well and that I sounds like that sorry go ahead Yazdi and I think it's one other level in that you know, nobody can be put on screen without their consent. So everybody has signed releases. They would have had to. So I think it's one level to, it's one thing to kind of fool them or whatever and exploit their their biases and their stupidity or what, what have you. But it's another thing to then, you know, say, you know, sign off on this and release this. And clearly they got that from Giuliani and, and others as well. And, I, you know, what uh, what always amazes me is, this is not stuff which is done on a stealth camera. It's not a hidden camera. These are, you, the whole movie is shot with focus and, you know, so there, everything that's transpiring is happening in the presence of somebody filming it. And it's incredible to me that even in the presence of somebody filming it, people kind of let their guard down. But, or maybe there is no guard to let down. Maybe people people just reveal who they are. But just on that point, the release is signed in advance. And so what happens is people get a piece of paper shoved in front of them saying, here, sign this. They do, and they don't realize quite how much of their, um, not their right, but how much they've given away in terms of, you know, now this stuff is, is legally able to be used by the filmmakers. So, yeah, people don't sign off after the fact <laughs> when mm -hmm. they've been shown to be idiots or bigots. They sign off ahead of time, and that, that's, uh, that's one of the tricks that's played here, but... Anyway. Sounds like a summing up. Uh, okay, sure. Um, so, not as funny as before, but still incredibly funny. So, I think if you got anything at all from the very first Borat or any of Sasha Baron Cohen's characters, um, then there's something here for you. I must admit, I don't think a movie has made me laugh out loud like this uh as 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 effectively as Borat has i you know I, I will find that even even the most childish jokes the most uncomfortable politically charged both sides of the spectrum i might add are, are both uh, lampooned here i think he, he's he's laughing at, at both extremes of, of both political spectrums although i think he does have a, a side for sure um but nonetheless it, it's a very funny um a very funny movie very entertaining uh just you know more of the same and for that gets a seven out of ten from me yes d yeah i mean i i, I i've never I, I didn't laugh with the first one i didn't laugh with the second one and the fault is entirely mine it's just it's too unpleasant for me but i'm, I'm in the far 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 minority i recognize that um i i commend it for you know what he's trying to do um there's nobody quite like him who's doing this right now um, so I, you know, I, I have to give it props for that. So I give it a six out of 10. Um, it's for most people, not for me. Um, and I, I think I am most people, um, yes. in this scenario and I love Borat. I love Sasha Baron Cohen. I've been obsessively watching, um, videos, interviews uh, with him and he is an absolute, Joe, you said it, he is as sharp as a razor. And I heard this on another film, as smart as the devil, um, He's incredible. He I, none of this happens by mistake. He does, um, if he's to believe to be believed, he does an incredible amount of preparation and um, research, and you know that shows. 
And I think the fact that he can still go around punking so many people so effectively is just a testament to how really smart this guy is. So um, for me, it's easily, easily an eight out of 10. Good stuff. Moving along, the uh, next movie is uh, about as different as they come from that. So um, the movie is His House. And Yazdi, I think you're going to say a few words about that to get us started. Yes, so His House, appropriately enough, uh, is a horror movie which is appropriately being released on October 30th on Netflix. And uh, this movie is by director Remy Weeks. And uh, the writing credits for this particular uh, movie is Felicity Evans, Toby Venables, and Remy Weeks. So uh, the director also has the writing credit. And essentially, uh, this film is about a refugee couple which makes a harrowing escape from war-torn South Sudan. But then they struggle to adjust to the new life in an English town that has an evil lurking beneath the surface. So I haven't seen this movie. In fact, I hadn't heard about it uh, until we started recording. I, I, I know the two of you have seen it. But just based on the... Um, the outline for the movie, it seems like this is a movie which is trying at least at some level for using, you know, the horror of real world, i.e., you know, war-torn Sudan and overlaying it on top of a metaphorical horror, you know, trope or, or a horror genre about them being in a home or a, or a town where there is some evil lurking there. So is the movie successful on those terms? What do you guys think? Yeah, this is um, a really interesting movie, Yazdi, and I recommend you watch it, although I'm scared to tell you to watch it because it's a little bit horror-y, scary. It's nothing like The Conjuring, uh, but it is kind of scary at times. It's effective as a, as a horror, but for me, it's more like a person coming to terms with... It's a really good depiction of... Imagine you have to go through the worst horrors in your life, in real life. And I think what it's trying to do is give us a flavor of severe PTSD and an understanding of the, the literal ghosts that are left behind in your life when you have to deal with so much trauma that hopefully none of us ever have to imagine and so I think as you're playing, as it's playing and you're going through it, it feels horror straight out. But by the end of it, I think you are convinced that it's something a little bit different and it's a worthy tale. To, uh, it's a worthy tale to be told, I think. Hmm. Yeah, you know, first of all, Rashmi said, oh, I've got. Um, a link to a screening of this movie called His House. And I said, sure, let's sit down and watch it. I had no idea what this movie was going into it. And I didn't. I, had, I certainly had no idea it was in the horror genre. And it certainly doesn't open that way at all. I think, you know, the, the, the way that the movie, you know, kind of does its setup, it's almost um, a disservice to kind of put it straight into the horror genre. It's more of the... the, the, the if such an ex a genre existed, it's more of the, the you know the personal trauma genre, um, and that genre I don't believe exists. Um, but yeah, it it's a movie that I've found really hard to shake from my psyche since having watched it. And what I'll say is, I think um, it's very metaphorical, and 
you get that almost immediately. Yes, there is something that appears apparently supernatural, but it's definitely a lot more psychological than supernatural. You understand that perhaps the goings on, the happenings, you know, may be in the mind of the protagonist, may, may not be. You don't have the evidence to, to tell you that either way. But um, certainly it's, you know, as, as I kind of go through my life and I, I, I get older, Rashmi will tell anyone this, um, that I'm getting very annoying about this, this idea of having just complete and total peace of mind. And this movie is an exploration of what it's not, what it's like to not have that. Um, it's i.e. living with Joe sometimes. <laughs> so, um, well, I'm the one searching for peace of mind. I'll just say that. So, um, <laughs> leave that with you. But, but no, I mean, it, it, it's very clearly a, a, an individual, um, well, a couple's journey to try and establish some sort of a future and a normal life having escaped from war-torn Sudan um, and the kind of things that one might ultimately be saddled with having done that. So it's a lot, uh, sorry, I rambled, I know a lot there, but it, it's a very, very powerful psychological thriller. I can see why it's in the horror genre because, you know, it, it's genuinely unsettling. Um, in the moment and I think as you kind of understand more about what it's trying to say it eases into more of a thoughtful um, exploration of somebody's um, specific coming to terms with what's happened to them yeah and I can't Im I think the thing it conveyed to me the most was if you are in a do or die situation what happens to your morals and do we have the right to judge people if they are in a situation where they just have to survive? The decisions that you have to make within a mm. split second because it literally means life or death. And then the pain of seeing the consequences of those moral decisions that you had to make that you had no time to make and no one should ever have to make. So I think it not only plays with seeing what that might look like, PTSD after, but also makes you question, what would you have done? How would it be? So I think it's really powerful. I agree with you. It kind of sits in the Hotel Rwanda psychological drama genre, if there was one. Hmm. I mean, I can sum this up. I think this is a movie worth watching. Um, give it time. Um, it can, it, it, it does the psychological thriller horror genre really well. Um, easily eight out of 10 for me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This movie's going to sit with me for a long time, Yazdi. And, and, you know, I recommend that people watch it. I mean, if horror isn't your thing, um, it definitely has sequences in there that are very reminiscent of, um, Again, I, I've mentioned this many a times on the podcast, but there was a, a, a TV show in the UK called The Hammer House of Horror, um, which uh, back in the day had these very short half an hour um, or hour long episodes where they would you know, explore some horror themed thing. But it very much had that homemade horror movie feel. But that was also an incredibly powerful um, uh, experience for me at the time. And granted, I was a lot younger. 
nonetheless, even if you aren't a fan of horror movies, I think this movie is entirely worth watching. Uh, you know, watch it in the daytime with the lights on um, and you'll maybe be a little less affected by its kind of jump scare moments. But uh, it's not about jump scares. It's more about dread. Very powerful, uh, 8 out of 10. And I don't know that I'll be forgetting my experience of having watched this any time in the next decade. I mean, this one will really stay with me and, yeah. and, and haunt me in, in the ways that I think the director intended. Yeah. And yes, yeah, I don't know if you mentioned this, but this one had its world premiere at Sundance this year. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay. so this was, a, this was a world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in January of this year. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I, I think horror kind of had this B-movie kind of uh, connotation for the longest time. And I think in the last couple of decades, it's been very, very evident that, you know, horror is able to sometimes depict you know, reality much better than your traditional, you know, uh, drama or what have you. And so there's there's been just a burst um, in terms of ideas and content, which kind of borrows from horror, but makes a commentary on so many things in life. And, you know, any given month these days, we'll have, you know, 10, 15 uh, new movies being released on streaming, which fall under the horror category, but each is kind of doing its own thing, some with more success than others. Yeah, I mean, there are whole studios like Bloomhouse that are just horror uh, studios yeah. in a sense. Yeah. So speaking of horror uh, well, and being Halloween, uh, I think the next movie we are going to discuss is also a scary movie. And this one is directed by Dave Franco. Yes, that Dave Franco, the brother of uh, <laughs> Mr. James Franco. And, Poor guy, uh, the I wonder whether he'll ever lose that title. What? Dave Franco, brother of brother of, brother of uh, James Franco. James, no. yeah. Um, it is written by uh, Joe Swanberg, and Joe Swanberg is kind of the king of this mumblecore universe. And I think in the in the nineteen nineties and two thousands, he released like I don't know ten, fifteen movies, which were all about people talking essentially, and uh, uh, you know many many actors. Uh, kind of came through this this factory of Joe, Joe Swanberg's movies. Um, um, so this, this story is written by Joe Swanberg and Dave Franco and Mike Dempsey. And the movie stars Dan Stevens, um, who was also in this great movie called The Guest, a scary movie on Netflix called The Guest, which I strongly recommend if people haven't watched it. Uh, but Dan Stevens and Alison Brie, who we've been seeing a lot um off late and she was on the on the Netflix series uh, Glow most recently, I believe. Um, and Sheila Vand is the other actor who is in this. And then the um, one-liner outline, the one-liner synopsis for the movie is that two couples rent a vacation home for what should be a celebratory weekend getaway. But then things don't happen as was planned for the rental. So tell us, is this one that is fun to watch uh, this time of the year yeah and sorry before joe starts remember if you don't recognize dan stevens he was also in um downton abbey that's where yeah, he yeah. made his yeah. name and he was the beast yeah. in beauty and the beast live version which makes me sound that's like true. a fan <laughs> and he was he was in a terrific movie that we saw 
not to make this the Dan Stevens podcast, but why not? He was in a terrific movie we saw at Tribeca a couple of years ago called Permission. Um, it was him along with, uh, uh, gosh, what's her name? Um, anyway, it'll come to me, but, uh, but, uh, that, that Permission is a movie, I think, which is streaming on Amazon right now. It's a lovely, lovely movie, but carry on. So tell me, tell me, is this a fun movie to watch uh, around, th- around, uh, Halloween? Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall. Yes. Yeah. So the rental was a rental. Um, I'll start by saying that. So this is out on streaming uh, pay-per-view, I believe. So this one, you know, we actually spent some of our hard-earned money, but we figured it's Halloween. Let's watch something a little creepy. Uh, and this was definitely billed in as a mystery thriller horror. So um, here's what I'll say. The movie works really well from start to finish. And and I say that because I think it somehow is ends up being greater than the sum of its parts the writing can be clunky in places the direction um is very very well done i think the the there's a a huge well again i don't don't want to make too much of a spoiler here but there's a sleight of hand that's played in this movie more than once and one is almost always giddily um happy to be to have been caught out by that because just when you think it's going down the road of cliche it makes a a little bit of a left turn it tells you that it's not the cliche that you thought and then comes back and ends up being the cliche that you thought all along so it's kind of it plays and you know and it does that back and forth so you know that's not a spoiler in the sense of the whole movie it's just it, it does that little dance very very well um so yeah i thought this we we just literally finished watching this um before recording the podcast I thought this was tremendously fun. Um, you know, performances all around were, were, were believable in spite of the, the, the nonsensical aspect of it. Um, and, you know, as a director, as I think it's a directorial it debut is. here for Dave Franco. Um, what a, what a, what an accomplished, ha- I mean, he, you can, this is a guy that you can see has spent a lot of time around movie sets because he, he really knows how to use those devices, how to use shots to, to impose a sense of dread, how to use cuts to um you know really make you gasp and they're not jump scares they're 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 very um you know again imposing dread dreadful but you know giggly kind of oh don't do the stupid thing you stupid person in a horror movie oh you know you've gone and done you've gone and you've gone down into the cellar now what are you thinking so um you know it had all of those kind of moments but it's not a comedy but it's giddily fun and scary yeah, I agree with Joe. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to attend a Q&A with um, Dave Franco and Sean Durkin, who's the producer for this. And um, what struck me was the the main premise of the idea, which Dave Franco talks about, which is these days we very easily go into people's strangers' houses with this whole Airbnb, uh, <laughs> you know, mindset that we have we very easily go into strangers houses without worrying about who may be watching you what those people may be what's hiding in the closets what's in the attic we just do it because it's on airbnb right we we the three of us have done it um and so i think it's this idea of like we just don't know who people are and now when you throw in two couples um 
and a house that's, you know, um, in the middle of nowhere um, in Oregon. It was filmed in Oregon. Um, you know, what happens and how things play out. And so it creates that dread so well. And uh, yeah, it's effective. I mean, it's somewhat predictable in some areas, but that doesn't take away from the, the fun of it. This is a fun, is really like, fun little movie to watch. But does it go into like full slasher mode at some point or it's pretty restrained? Maybe I don't, don't want to give it to, away. Well, to, to answer that question, and you could say either way. I mean, if you're answering that either way is kind of spoiler territory. It's because it, it, it builds to that, but it's not about that if that makes sense at all so um it's not one of those silly crazy you know um you know bloodbath type horror movies that if you if that's what you're thinking but you know yeah certainly something is afoot in oregon yes um <laughs> and there are creepy characters all around and I, again i think what what i like to uh, joe swanberg i think uh, his writing here is is very clear i don't know that um some of so some of the relationship dynamics right you've got two couples you know the guys are brothers um you know one's married the other one's um working with you know, so th there's a lot of couple dynamics that kind of play out in this movie as well which again in less capable writing hands i think could have really been ugh, you know super cliche and you know some of those moments are you know kind of like oh really this is what this movie is going to be about but again joe swanberg has a knack for that kind of dialogue you know i mean i i've endlessly recommended drinking buddies as um mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies uh, on this podcast and again he has that just there's a reality to there's a groundedness to the way that the characters speak and deal with these you know um uh, almost uh what's the what's the word um farcical uh you know enter stage left type things you know where where people <laughs> do silly things so again but it, it, it all it all plays out very well very well in in the in the in the in the end of, of it all yeah so. and remember it's joint writing credits joe swanberg and dave franco so i um, think swanberg took a look at franco's script and tidied it up tightened it nipped tucked rearranged and and just brought out something um you know what was already there i think he polished the diamond if, if you would if you were to ask me how this was written that's how i would say um but good it was good stuff i'll wrap up i mean i think this is a really fun little movie it's 90 minutes in length um it's not so dreadfully frightening that it will keep you awake for days after having seen it um it isn't full genre slasher. Um, it plays out much more as a psychological thriller for much of its running time. And it takes its time building this sense of dread about the surroundings, about the situation, about the, um, the, the, the pressures situation that the characters have gotten themselves into. And it plays out... And it, and it finishes in a very kind of satisfying, almost satisfying mm -hmm. manner. I think the, the end is, a, I've got a real little bit of a problem with, with one aspect of the ending. But it, it, was, it was good stuff all around. I'm going to give this an eight and a, and a solid recommendation. It was seven wow. bucks to rent. Um, and it was seven bucks really well spent. 
Yeah, I agree with Joe. I think it's as much about the horror of the situation between these two people, between this, between these two couples, um, as much of the horror itself, right? The horror of being stuck in a house in the middle of nowhere and you know something's not quite right. Um, I, I agree. It's really effective and it's kind of fun and it's efficient. Yeah, it's surprisingly mm. tight. I think there was a lot of editing. This probably was envisaged as being a slightly longer movie and they just they cut all the junk out. I yeah. mean, this, this, this just gets in there, does its stuff... Everything is there. Every line of dialogue is is crafted for a purpose. Um, and, and it's far from perfect, but it's just so much fun. Yeah. Moving on, I guess the final movie to talk about this week is The Boys in the Band. Yeah, and I'm so, dying Rashmi, to watch this one, Yazdi. I haven't seen it yet, so I am... Uh, I am excited to hear what you will tell me. So um, the boys in the band is uh, described as at a birthday party in 1968, New York, a surprise guest in a drunken game leaves seven gay friends reckoning with unspoken feelings and buried truth. So this is directed by uh, Joe Mantello and it's written by Matt Crowley. Um, Mart, sorry, Mart Crowley. And it has a great cast, including... Um, Jim Parsons, Zachary Quinto, Matt Bomer, Andrew Rannells, Charlie Carver, Robin De Jesus, Brian Hutchinson, um, and a whole host of others. I think I got the main seven. Um, so, Yazdi, is this one that Rashmi will enjoy? I'm not sure. And uh, maybe, Joe. So, so there's been a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if you will enjoy it. I don't think anybody watching this movie will be bored. Uh, it's a very compelling play, and I think uh, so. So the reason why Boys in the Band is, uh, you know, is able to gather so much, such good, uh, such a good cast is because Boy in the Boys in the Band was, um, I believe, originally released in the early '70s as a Broadway play, and it was one of the seminal. Uh, plays to openly talk about gay life in New York City in the mm -hmm. early 70s and how people were dealing with it. And, and not just, you know, from that perspective of, you know, uh, like, you know, l like the gay person being somebody who is oppressed. It was more about affluent, you know, well-to-do people living city life and integrated within the culture of New York City at that time. And um, very recently, Joe Montello, who's one of the stars on Broadway, uh, they decided to do an adaptation and they were able to get this cast of, you know, all gay yeah. actors to play play this. And so all of the, the very same cast was on Broadway for months. And then Joe Montello kind of um, used the same actors and made a film version of it. It's not it's not the filming of an actual play. So this this is a proper movie on, shot on location. Uh, almost the entirety of the movie happens um, in a single house because after all, it is a Broadway play. But, you know, in the movie, it kind of goes back and forth in flashback. There are scenes outside of the house. Um, there's a lot going on. But I think at the end of the day, a good script is a good script. And... Um, you know, I think over the years we've seen so many movies, you know, I like to call them the Thanksgiving dinner movie, 
There's so many movies about, you know, a group of people, be their friends or family who get together for some occasion. And then, you know, over the course of the evening, you know, secrets emerge and, you know, I horrible love things. those movies. Yeah. Yes. So this is a classic example of that, you know, the lead character throws a birthday party for somebody in their group, uh, Zachary Kinto. And um, essentially, you know, seven of their friends show up. One of his uninvited friends shows up and they all drink too much. And people start saying really cruel things and, you know, things emerge and there is, you know, uh, things which should not be said get said and so forth. So it it is kind of a chamber piece. It's like set in this one home. It's about these characters. And what I really like about this is that it doesn't try to modernize it. It does not ever try to put the 2020 sensibility of something which was written in the early 70s. And so it brings with it a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of the stale morals and the stale sensibilities from that point. And it's kind of really jarring to think that this is what was, you know, common to speak about. And this was, you know, this is what what people had to say about certain things. And um, I my one big problem with with the movie was is with the casting of the lead role. But I, I, I can talk more about it. But I think it's definitely worth watching because it's it's just um, it, it's like a car accident. You can't, you can't at, at the halfway point, you cannot look away, uh, you know, at, at what, how far these people are going to go for each other. Go yeah, on. and it's interesting, Yazdi. I was wondering, um, you know, it's always interesting to me to watch something of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's also interesting when you add a slant of what's real today. Does that bode well? I mean, yeah. I can... You know, you're kind of saying, well, it's interesting hearing about, you know, there's no, been no effort to kind of update it. Um, is that watchable? It, does it feel yeah, like it's, it's like watchable. you're watching archival well footage or do you just feel like, wow, I'm really transported to that time and that's interesting how much things have changed? Yeah, it's it's the latter for sure. And okay. I, th- I think it's uh, it's very watchable and I think the production design is exceptional. I mean, I don't know how they filmed a lot of what they are filming because there's a lot of outdoor shots right. and it all seems to happen in the late 60s and it's most watchable. I don't think, I, I think the intent is that um, certain stereotypes which were so prevalent, you know, in, in the late 60s and early 70s, it was just assumed that that, that was part of the gay life. Um, and that's presented without, you know, it's without any varnish. It's It's just there as it is. And I think a lot of people... You know, since I watched the movie, I I read a kind of a few opinion pieces on it. And there are people who just think that there is no room for this play in in modern world because it just kind of reinforces these old stereotypes. And we move past that. But I think it's actually important to see that as it was so that you can tell how far we have come. Exactly like you've said. Especially during these Um, uh, troubled times, right? Exactly. And, you know, and it's... I mean, in a way, it's it's a quintessentially gay piece, but it doesn't need to be. I think it's it's about a piece about a group of people living in the 70s and how different the mindset was at that time. And it, it, I mean, I think the fact that they're all gay happens to be somewhat incidental. Um, so I, I think, like I said, good writing is good writing. My one big issue with and this is and, and sorry Asti, just before you go there yes. you just said something interesting so do you think that 
because it's not marketed, I think, as an LGBTQ um, type movie. Do you think that it will appeal to uh, people who aren't gay? You know, a lot of these movies, I feel like they end up becoming um, pigeonholed because they are about a certain topic. And that always upsets well, me because I'm like, no, some of these movies are really, really good, despite the fact that... But sometimes they're targeted to... Sure, but that's what I'm market. trying to get out of this. Do you think it's targeted uh, to a to a gay audience? Or do you think I it's don't a think universal... So. I mean, I mean, like, you know, like if somebody wants to do a remake of Gone with the Wind, right? I don't think it's worthwhile to do a remake of Gone with the Wind about how the South is in, tw in 2020. That's pointless. So if you're doing a remake, do it, you know, set in the time at that period. And I didn't grow up in the South. You know, I didn't have to deal with, you know, racial issues. But but it's it's very, very enlightening for me to watch, you know, uh, gone with the wind as is and i think there was a lot of pre this whole cancel culture there was a lot of pressure to actually pull gone with the wind right. and other movies from from circulation and i think absolutely not you know you can put you know a qualifier at the start that this movie represents you know the morals and and mores of that time but it's a testament to how things were at that time and it's it's fascinating to me so i think i i mean i think there are abusive relationships regardless of gender there are loving relationships regardless of gender. There Absolutely. are toxic friends regardless of gender. Um, and there are relationships which you think are something and there's something else regardless of gender. So I think it plays on all these relationship issues. And like I said, I think it has endured, you know, through the last 50, 60 years because it's really good writing. It's It really cuts deep. I mean, the things which some people tell to other people, I would not want to ever attend a party with friends like that, where, you know, people get so free to say horribly cruel things. Um, we better be careful. Jeff. My, so Ryan Murphy, who has done so much on television, you know, he's behind it and he's kind of brought in a who's who of, of current actors. My one big problem is the main, I mean, this is an ensemble piece. There are, you know, these seven different actors, but I think, the main character in the movie is the one which is played by Jim Parsons. You know, we all know Jim Parsons from uh, Big Bang Theory. And he was on um, uh, Ryan Murphy's uh, other show, the, the panned one called Hollywood, which was on Netflix. Um, but I think, I, I mean, I don't want to judge uh, Jim Parsons, but I really think this role might be too complex or too big for him because it's it's the main character who happens to be perhaps who invites everybody over to his house, but he perhaps is the most unforgiving and cruel of them all. So you need somebody who can carry that. We all know people who have that bite to them. They constantly have that bite to them where everything they say, as witty as it, comes with, with a dash of venom. And that's that main character. And Jim mm. Parsons is not hope, able yes, to pull he's that not off. And he just of comes too. off. The way he plays it, he just comes off looking really like a nasty person. I'm like, why are these people even friends with this guy? They yeah. should have just dumped him years ago. Yeah. So he's not able to carry that through. And so it yeah. comes along. It gives me a bad taste of the mouth. But it's a very handsome production. Gorgeously done. Just watch it for the everybody's clothing and, and so forth. And um, Matt Bomer is great here. Uh you know, Zachary Kinto plays very much against type. He plays somebody who is very 
unattractive and has a lot of complex being unattractive, especially within within you know the um, the gay world where physical perfection is so prized, and so there is a lot of insecurity, self hatred, etc. So it plays on all of those issues very well. Okay, score. Um, I would give it a seven out of ten. I mean, I I lack the cultural context to fully appreciate it. I mean, it was a seminal piece of work when it first came out. But it's very, very watchable. It's you feel that these actors really inhabit their roles because they've played them on Broadway very recently, uh, you know, for months and months. Um, it's a great script. Um, I'm curious to know how the original play ended because I, I kind of was very surprised with how it kind of ultimately plays out. But definitely recommended. Seven out of ten. Great, great, great acting by the remaining cast and great script. Very nice. Okay. Well, let's um, wrap up the podcast for today. Plenty to watch. We've got another podcast hopefully coming out in the next few days following this with reviews of Trial of the Chicago 7, What the Constitution Means to Me, Gloria, Enola Holmes, and Holiday, among other things. So lots to talk about. Please do look out for that. Um, and I may tack on to the end of this podcast just a review of a movie called Let Him Go that we did uh, during a previous recording session but held back due to embargo rules. So uh, listen out for that as well. Thank you for listening. Um, these podcasts, I know, run on a little long these days. There's always so much to talk about. So uh, if you're listening, if you're still there and we haven't lost you, we really appreciate it. Plus, we're always happy to speak to Yazdi, who we don't see as much as we want to. And, you know, well, Joe and I get ch tired of just talking to each other. So when we have a, <laughs> a captive audience like Yazdi. Uh, that, that is actually one of the things that is super strange about lockdown. Yazdi, we normally see you multiple times a week at screenings. And yet in the last six months, that's not been the case. So, yes. Always feels like yes, we're ch chatting. Catching <laughs> up. Yeah. All right. It's the sign too, of the times. Too it's many the world movies. We live in. Yes. Too little time. Goodbye from me. And me. And me as well. 